Today's guest on the Minnesotan Pod is Steve Guider, the recently retired head coach of the Blaine Girls High School Hockey Program. We sit down with Steve for a little over an hour, and we discuss everything from getting his start in coaching almost 40 years ago to stepping down from the Bengal bench this past season to his work with the veteran community in the Blaine area. Hope you enjoy. All right, we've got Steve Guider here, longtime head coach of the Blaine Girls High School hockey team. Steve, I have a bottle of Martinelli's sparkling cider here to commemorate your retirement but we can't get it open. So I'm just going to give it to you. Here okay, you go. Thank you. I'll invoice you later for that. Steve, Sounds thanks good. for being here on a beautiful day. I appreciate it. You came all the way down from Blaine, where your current title, among many others, is a tech paraprofessional. So can you tell the world and me, for my benefit, what a tech paraprofessional does? Well, we have three people in our department, and we take care of all the technology things in the school. So uh, computers, the smart boards, um, LCD projectors, Different, uh, different software, things like that. Uh, a main thing is Chromebooks because okay. those have all gone one to one. So, uh, repairing Chromebooks, issuing Chromebooks, things like that. All right. So, if you you say Chromebook, do you just get super mad when you see I'm using an Apple laptop right here? No, laptops are fine. I, I don't. I'm not a fan <laughs> of Chromebooks. They just uh, essentially just internet searching devices. But I, I'm not a fan of Macs. I'm a uh, regular. PC Windows You're a guy. PC guy? Yeah. All right. Well, what kind of laptop are you using right now? H- this is interesting to me. I have an HP laptop. You've got an HP. All right. That's fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's dive into the hockey. You have officially stepped down from your post as the Blaine Girls High School coach after 20-odd years. You've been with the program since the beginning in the mid-90s. If you could sum up your journey in a few words, and trust me, there will be more, but if you could sum it up in just a couple of words, what is the past almost 30 years meant to you? Well, I think it's meant everything. It's been, you know, coaching has been a huge part of my life for, you know, coaching youth before high school for 40 years. Um, I started at Blaine in 91 with the boys, um, and then the 93-94 season with the girls. And, you know, over that time, the, the, the kids that I've met have been absolutely unbelievable. And, you know, definitely life-changing moments uh, being with them. And, you know, it's, there's been you know, as high as winning a state championship to, you know, a seven-win season. So there's been a whole variety. But no matter how we've done record-wise, the quality of kid that I've had a chance to work with has been absolutely incredible. And, you know, it's it's hard to step away because of the kids. But, uh, you know, if you think about it, it's like every year, like a new group comes in and, boy, I think I'll stick around for this this group. And then it's, you know, it, it never ends. And, Every coach I know said, you know when it's time, and they're right. I mean, when you, you do know when it's time, and, you know, it's – I've stepped down as a head coach, but I'll, you know, I'll pursue being a goalie coach somewhere and, you know, st- still stay involved. I'm sure that if anyone goes to a Blaine game next year, they'll still see Steve Guider somewhere in the building. Yeah, we have – I mean, the, the hardest part of leaving is the, the quality of kid that we have returning – Mm-hmm. Um, if there was a reason to stay there, it's because it's, you know, they're good hockey players, but they're far better people, you know, so I, I do have to, you know, continue to support them because it's, you know, in the short time form good relationships with them. And, 
you know, I'd like to see how they progress. All right, let's go back to 1991. I was born in 91, so you've been coaching hockey <laughs> for longer than I've been alive, so congrats on Yeah, that, that makes me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> how did you get into coaching to start? Is it something you always wanted to do? Did you always have that itch to stay involved? Well, I got into coaching because of my high school football coach, Dave Nelson. Um, Legend. I, yep, and I just, to me, the guy walked on water. And I just, I just watched how he coached us and the impact that he had on people. And that's what really, you know, kind of got me excited about doing it. You know, plus the, the ability to stay in the game. You, know, it's, it's, you can only play so long, and then it's hard to just give up that compete and, and everything that goes along with all that. So it gave me a chance to stay back in the game. And um, one of our – or my, back, my neighbor behind us, um, his son played. And he was just starting out as a might hockey player. He's like, yeah, I think I'm going to coach this team. You want to help? I go, yeah. You know, so we just started coaching, and, you know, it was a good time. And uh, I'm just like, okay, I like this. And I had played football in college at Mankato and screwed up my back so I couldn't play anymore. So then I, I transferred to St. Cloud, and then I started coaching. Um, it's been there ever since. Where did you start coaching in St. Cloud? No, I I coached at Blaine. I had just gone to St. Cloud State University. To oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. For a second, I thought, "Ooh, you coached in St. Cloud? Wow, no. you've been all over the place." No, my first <laughs> my first year was at Blaine with football in '91, and then I coached Tino Grace hockey in '91. Then came to oh. Blaine in '92. Okay, so you're North Metro through and through. Yeah. No chance of getting you to come down below that threshold, is there? Well, there's a chance. You know, you, you never know. <laughs> So coaching in, in 91, did you know that you wanted to do football, hockey, or baseball? Because you've coached all three. Was there a specific sport that you wanted to do more than the other two, or was it all three all the time? No, I, I didn't do baseball. I did track. You coached baseball at some point, though, didn't you? No. no what? No. Well, my Google's wrong then. I apologize for that. <laughs> yeah, must have been another Steve Geider. Must have been another Steve Geider. No, I, I had done track one year, and football and football and hockey were my passion. Um, I did a lot of stuff for USA Hockey, so that took up my summer. And going from fall to winter to a spring sport and then doing the summer got to be too much. So I said I, I gave up the spring sport, give myself a little break there. All right. There was no walking away from football, though, especially not when you're coaching under somebody like Dave Nelson. His, uh, You mentioned how you thought he walked on water when he was your coach. When you were both coaches, when you were collaborators, what did you take away from Dave Nelson maybe in terms of organization or in player relations? Because Dave Nelson is one of the, on the Mount Rushmore of high school football coaches in Minnesota. Dave Nelson's up there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I tried to take as much as I could from him. Um, I've had multiple coaches over my life and, you know, some good, some not as good, um, <laughs> but, but everybody, no matter how, how good or, or not as good the coach was, you always learn something from somebody. And from him, it's, you know, how to treat players, you know, just the, really the work ethic that's involved in being a coach. And when we first started, I mean, our Sundays were just miserable. We would spend <laughs> 12 to 14 hours up at the school game planning. You know, back then it was VHS tapes. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, <laughs> there might have been a couple of reel reels when I first started. <laughs> Microfilm? Yeah. Yeah, so we, uh, you know, the, just the time spent – that you have to put in to, to be a good coach. And organization's never been a problem. And when we were going, he was, I was actually the guy he trusted. He's like, guys, oh, okay. can, can you do this for me? Because uh, I don't really trust anybody else to do it. <laughs> you know, so it was, uh, 
you know, it's just, you know, just being, being a professional and, and how to treat people and things like that is just, he's tops. Interesting. And you coached interior defensive lines. So you're with the, the D tackles and the nose guards. What was harder coaching interior defensive line or coaching junior varsity hockey? <laughs> well, it's drastically different. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the defensive line aspect is so, I mean, I started out as a sophomore coach until 96, then moved up to the varsity. And, you know, obviously I like that a lot better. I like the competition aspect of it mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the players obviously better. Um, with the JV, it's a, a little bit more laid back. You have kids that, you know, are, most of them are just having fun mm-hmm. and they, a lot of them don't have aspirations to be varsity players or move on and play college. So they're playing for the sheer enjoyment of it. So it's drastically different. Uh, both are, are good in, in different ways. You think it, it's a little bit like a teeter-totter where you get that competitive itch scratched on the football field, but then you're reminded on the JV ice that, you know what, this isn't life or death. Would you say that's a fair assessment? Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's drastically different for me because it was you're coaching football, which is ultra-intense. Mm-hmm. And then you go to like a boys hockey practice when I was doing both, still pretty intense. And then you'll go to the girls varsity practice, which is, you know, still pretty good. And then I was doing both JVs and it's different. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I like the kids and it's just, I mean, it's just an entirely different teaching. I mean, it's, you're really, really basic versus like coaching defensive line at the varsity level. I mean, it's, you know, a lot more advanced techniques. I would imagine it made you a better coach, though, to have to fill both roles of teaching uh, D-line techniques to varsity defensive linemen, which would be like teaching calculus, and then teaching junior varsity hockey players, which would be a little bit more like teaching algebra. So it sharpened both sides of your brain as a coach. Yeah, and early it was like teaching plus minus. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to say it. I figured we'd go with algebra. Yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, I mean just. The, just the coaching is different. I mean, mm-hmm. just going from boys to girls, and it's you go from football, which is quite a bit more intense, and and then you go transition to hockey, where it's you know if you coach at the same intensity level, it doesn't go very well. You know, and what I found over the years is that they started to balance a little bit. Mm-hmm. Where I think coaching football got to be a little bit more, I would say, a little tougher. Uh, you can't – it's harder to be as intense as, as you were early. You can't just scream your head off at the no, kid. No, no, <laughs> kids get uh, kids get sad when you do that. And, you know, it's just kind of a product of what's happened. It's just – it's it's everybody's – a lot of kid gloves now. A lot of kid gloves. Yep. Okay. I think that's a good way to put it because I'm not – I'm not super young. I'm not super old either. I'm 31. So I had my share of coaches that were a little more intense, but then I had my coaches who were a little more, as you just said, kid glovey. So a balance of the two, I think works out for most kids, but I think it's interesting how coaches have had to evolve. It seems even in the last two or three or even four years since the pandemic, I feel like coaching has taken on a whole new role. Would you say that's also fair? I think it's absolutely fair. Um, you know, I, we were saying over the last 10 years, it's amazing how things have changed. And, um, you know, the, the, the past couple obviously is, is drastically different. And, you know, I think it's a product of, a lot of it's a product of everything that's gone on outside of hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, with, 
with all the stuff the kids do during the summer, you know, back when we first started, it would be like the hockey season's approaching for high school and kids were just unbelievably excited yeah. to get out there because, oh, you know, we, we haven't played hockey much and, and kids really look forward to it. And nowadays it's, here we go again. Jeez. You know, in these elite leagues and premier prep leagues that they have, I mean, I think they might have finished a week before the season started this year. Mm-hmm. But in the past, that league would end on Sunday and we're practicing on Monday. And the kids are like, okay, here we go again. And it's, you know, it's a lot different, you know, as far as that aspect goes of it is the, just the pure looking forward to your team. You know, some kids, they'd rather play on their summer team. Yeah. You know, because talent's better, obviously, in, in some cases, because you're playing in these leagues with the, the best players. Then you come to your team where, you know, you might have a couple, but <laughs> not the quantity. That Actually, I want to touch on that for a second. What is that like as a coach when you do have a super talented player who would prefer to play with their summer team? How do you bring that player back to the corral, as it were, as in this is your team right now and you need to get over what you think you're missing? Yeah, and we haven't I don't I would say we haven't had that too much and we've had some some pretty elite players. Um I, I think of our twenty seventeen team, Emily Brown, Paige Beebe, um Kenzie Wiley were all D one players. Those kids love play together. Um and that, that whole team, you know, they still get together in the summer, you'll see, you know, seven, eight kids going to like Kirsty Ziegler's cap or cabin <laughs> and hanging out. And they, I mean, they would rather be with that group. Mm-hmm. Um, we had one elite player this year and, you know, she liked, she liked being at our school. Um, and she, she had been recruited by other schools. I mean, she could have left and she chose to stay. And, you know, thankfully for me, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no <laughs> got kidding. to work with a, a great kid <laughs> and, you know, it's a definite difference maker for us. Okay, we will touch on the 2017 team because you and I both have very fond thoughts about that team. But I want to go back again to the beginning. Was there a moment when you got onto the ice your first year coaching hockey and you thought, girls hockey specifically, and you thought, what did I get myself into? Um, I would say no. It's, uh, I, I first got started with the girls because our boys JV had practiced the hour before them. And I was watching, and it was they had just started, and I'm watching their practices, and and was watching the goalie in particular, and I'm like, ooh, I mean, she was not very good, mm-hmm. and she didn't want to play goalie, but they needed a goalie. She was like that the, makes it hard. Yeah, she was like the sixth best skater on the team, and she was a catcher in softball, so <laughs> the head coach was like, you're gonna be the goalie, <laughs> and I mean that was that was a personal challenge. That was tough, and at the end of the season. You know, she had just come up and said, you know what? She said, I hated playing goalie, mm-hmm. but I just want to thank you because you, you made it tolerable for me, and I appreciate all your effort. Wow. Um, so at that time, it was actually fun because, you know, we had some, some highly competitive kids, mm-hmm. and the eagerness to learn was off the charts. You know, and, and boys, a lot of times, it's like, you know, you'll get a couple players like it's, well, I don't know if they – think I know more than you, but it's kind of that attitude. Mm-hmm. And some aren't, weren't tremendously coachable, and these kids would absorb everything. Wow. So in that aspect of it, I thought it was, it was really fun because you could, you could coach and, and people really accepted the coaching. Yeah. Did it help at that point? Because Blaine in the mid and late 90s was uh, one of the booming 
suburbs just outside the metro and Blaine had some really really good female hockey players think of a Jody Horak a Tiffany Hag did that make it easier to stick with it coaching girls would have been harder would it have been harder for you to stick with it if you'd been coaching at a not to throw Austin under the bus but an Austin where those top players weren't so readily available you know what it might have I was really lucky um, because when I you know after that after those first years we had a goalie named Katie Bodie Mm-hmm. who was, she was the first winner of that Let's Play Hockey Goalie Award, All-State Kid. So she was just a blast to work with. And then there was an overlap with her and Jody Horak. So Horak, um, as a sophomore, I was talking to her parents, and they're like, well, what should we do? And I said, well, best case scenario, I said, Katie is going to play most of the games just because she's, she's played every game for us. I said, why don't you have Jody play JV for the boys? I'll still be working with her. And then she can come in the next year. And, you know, she'll, she'll be all state and she'll win the goalie awards. So she played two years for us. And then we follow that up with, uh, uh, Kim Hanlon, and Ashley Nixon, who you know, three of the four won the let's play hockey goalie award. So, you know, I was pretty, pretty loaded with talent there. And, you know, you got, you got high quality goalies that were motivated to be really good. So, I mean, for me, just being the goalie coach, part of that for the girls, it was exceptional. Did they make you look good or did you make them look good? Um, they make me look good. There you go. That's that's the that's the right answer <laughs> yeah. for a coach is yeah, to put all the all the all the praise on the players. Yeah, right? you, you try not to get, you try not to get in the way. You hope you have an impact on them, and you hope you make them a little bit better. But you know you can't take you can't take a a kid that's awful and make them a Division One goalie. I mean, if they're they're going to be at that level, they're obviously going to be pretty good when you get them. And so I was lucky on that end. Now, your time with the girls team. Uh, is well documented. You were working with both. You won a state championship though with the boys yep. in 2000. What was that experience like? That was the best hockey, or I would say the best coaching of my life. Um, to win a state championship because I've in my career I've been in seven of them, and we've only won one. And <laughs> once you win it, boy, when you lose them, it's it's even tougher. Hurts a little more. Yeah, and it's just. I mean, the, the group we had was, was really special. Three of those kids had gone on to play in the NHL. And, I mean, they were those just... Bochensky moved on. Yeah, Matt Hendricks. Um, Hendricks. Yeah, and he's, he's working with the Wild right now, Brandon Bochensky, and then Trevor Frischman, who's the boys coach at Blaine right now. Ah, all right. Yeah, so, you know, those guys, because I remember in 1999, we lost a heartbreaker to Hastings in the section quarterfinals, or the state quarterfinals, um, we were behind 4-1, came back, tied it, and then we made a mistake late. And they turned it over, and Dan Welsh came in. Not like I remember this. And <laughs> he goes right in and goes high glove on our goalie, Justin Johnson. And I remember falling back against the glass and see .2 seconds left on the clock. And, you know, we, we go from a, a, probably one of the greatest comebacks in state tournament history to losing a game with .2 seconds left. Uh, had we gone to overtime, you know, we had the momentum. Could have been different. And I remember sitting, we were watching the Rozo game after us, and we're sitting up behind the net, and it's Matt Moore, who he had gone to Air Force, and Hendricks and those guys, and they're like, Geiter, there's no way we're not coming back here next year and winning this whole thing. And their their work ethic over the summer was, you know, the best of any team that I've been around. And they they won the state championship because they earned it. They were, They worked really hard for it, and it was unbelievable. When those guys told you there's no way we're not coming back here, I think that 
high school kids, not that they're, you know, full of bleep, but it's kind of hard to take the, the emphatic words of a 16 or 17 year old seriously because they're 16 and 17 years old. But did you believe them right away when they said we're coming back next year? Absolutely. Because I, I mean, we've been working with those kids for a while and I mean, just give you perspective, Matt Hendricks, who I would consider the greatest leader of any high school kid I've ever seen in my life. Um, he's been a he's been a captain for three NHL teams and Team USA, um, so they recognize his leadership abilities. And Alex Ovechkin was actually not happy when he left the Capitals. So you got the best player in the world kind of wanting you to stay. It says a lot about you. And Matt. Um, that senior year, would he would make the guys go up to the school on Sunday and lift. Coaches can't be around, mm-hmm. so that was player-led, player-only, went up there and lifted. Um, they would go to other people's houses, and you know they're shooting pucks. And On the playoff run, we had scored two goals where we knocked pucks out of the air. Mm-hmm. And, and he's like, oh, that wasn't a mistake. He said, when we were at Rompo's house, you know, we'd shoot, and the pucks that would miss – We'd flip them back over the net and work on just knocking them out of the air. So he said, we used to practice that all the time. You <laughs> the know, moxie so, on this kid. Yeah, huh? yeah. And at the time, too, we had, like, personal training during our summertime. Mm-hmm. So um, kids would come in for a half an hour lift with a personal trainer. And then at that time, too, I was running a pretty intense dryline program. Mm-hmm. So those kids would go lift. And then, you know, Matt would usually – be working in the sod field all day. He'd come and take a quick shower, lift, and then come and train with me. And it was that group was unbelievable. Wow. They, uh, there was no doubt in my mind that they were going to come back and do it. If there was, if there's something that you would want younger players to take away from Matt's leadership style, you mentioned the hard work and showing up every day. But was was there something about the way he related to the other players around him that you wish more young players had? Was it just was it a natural gravitas, or was he a good listener, or what? He he was just a presence, um, just the the way he carried himself, and he was. I mean, he's very humble. If you saw him walking around school, you would never know he was an elite athlete because he was a starting quarterback on our football team, too, for two years. Um, state quarterfinals both those years, we lost to Creighton with Joe Maurer at quarterback. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so, so that was tough. And, but just the way he carried himself, and kids just had just respect for him, and that they have had it the entire career. And uh, there was a point during the season where Brandon Bochensky, um, we had moved him up uh, to Hendricks's line, and, I mean, Bochensky was an elite goal scorer. I mean, he was mm-hmm. really good. And I was standing at the red line one day, and they're coming up ice doing a rush drill, and he wasn't working very hard. <laughs> and <laughs> Hendricks came up and was like, Juice, get your ass going. I don't know if I can say that on camera. You can say ass. That's okay. okay. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, the next rush, I mean, it changed immediately. Hmm. And he just, I mean, he just had a, just an aura about him, and he related well to kids. He treated kids really well. You know, we had a teacher that had just brought up a story where I think he was kind of, him and some other guys were kind of picking on a kid in class. Where Matt was picking on somebody yeah. in class? Yeah, and it was him with, with some other kids. I don't know how much he was doing, but this Pete McKenzie, who who I was coaching with, with the girls, um, mm-hmm. he was the teacher. And he was telling me this story, and then he said you could just see a look in Matt's face, and Matt just went up to that kid, apologized, and said, boy, I'm really sorry about this. And, you know, he, he totally made up for anything that, that he did. 
And that's just kind of the, the character there. I think it was kind of a thing where you get caught up with people that are around you and you just get in the moment of it. Yeah. But, you know, he's the only one that went up and apologized. And, you know, he generally felt bad for what happened. Wow, this has become the Matt Hendricks uh, quality <laughs> hour here. Maybe Matt Hendricks will join us here in our studio yeah. eventually. Well, you could be so lucky. He is, <laughs> he is phenomenal. You mentioned sometime off camera, uh, sorry to reverse cor- course a little bit, you called yourself the mythical state champions. Yeah. Now tell me about that. So 93-94 was when girls hockey got its unofficial start. Okay. There was eight teams. Uh, we were one of the original eight and we finished that year 16 and 0, so we were the only undefeated team. So <laughs> I should get a ring made. So. You, you should. You should get two. You should have two state championships yeah, yeah. now. So we, we kind of <laughs> labeled ourselves as the mythical state champs because we were the only undefeated team. All right, here's the real question. Which one meant more, the mythical state championship or the 2000 state uh, championship? The, the 2001. Two, just barely, though, yeah, right? just barely. Just barely. <laughs> <laughs> you, the loss against Hastings, what's funny, I was watching uh, highlights of that a few weeks ago, actually. My YouTube algorithm's all messed up, and mm-hmm. for some reason that came up on my YouTube and I watched it, and I didn't remember any of it because I was so young at the time. But you mentioned another heartbreaking loss, and this came at the international level yeah. where your goaltenders set a record for shutout minutes yep. and you ended up losing to Canada in the gold medal game of the U18 Women's World Championships. Yep. It was in Finland. Mm-hmm. So did you like Finland? If you had to move to a Scandinavian country, would it be Finland? You know, Finland was a lot like northern Minnesota. Okay. At least the areas we were in. So we stayed at their athletic center. So we stayed right on the campus of that. So that's where I mean, we, we didn't get around very much. There was a rink that was there that we would practice at and then there was another rink i forget the name of the the town that would be the main game rink starts with an h not helsinki no okay no so um but it was a lot like northern minnesota i mean it was a lot of pine trees and it's beautiful area and when we were there too it was during uh new year okay so after one of the games there's a there's a scandic hotel and we had the whole team over there celebrating new year's they had fireworks and stuff so Pretty cool. Wow. Where does that rank in your list of uh, hockey memories? Oh, that's, I mean, there's there's a lot of memories. That one was, that was unbelievable. Um, anytime you get a chance to work with the best players, especially in the best players in the country and, you know, at that level, essentially the world, um, it's, it's definitely an honor to represent USA doing something like that is definitely an honor. I mean, every, every game that we won, they would play the U.S. National Anthem and you just get goosebumps, you know, as being a part of that. And it was, the staff was awesome. Uh, Jeff Campersall is head coach at Penn State now. He was the head coach. And then Courtney Kennedy was at Boston College. She was an assistant uh, with myself. And just the, the athletic training staff, the uh, strength staff. I mean, it's developed great friendships. And we stay in touch via Facebook. You know, we played, a, it's like they never play outside. So <laughs> one of the nights we had a staff game. So all the coaches and all the support staff, there's an outdoor rink, and we went out and just played a little shinny hockey out there, and everybody's like, this is awesome. I'm like, well, we used to do this every day. <laughs> <laughs> Who won that inter-squad? Um, I th- our team did, but. <laughs> it had to be your team, didn't yeah. it, Steve? <laughs> well, it was kind of funny, too, because we, um, the the team doctor, this Allie Howe, and um, our uh, athletic trainer, so they want. They asked me one day, "Hey, can we go out and work on stick handling?" Because they hadn't played before. <laughs> so I'm like, "Yeah." So we went out there, and I, I was teaching them how to stick handle and shoot. And 
there are some guys from Russia. And this, this guy comes up. He goes, hey, how about the international game? Oh. I'm like, how about you bring it on? <laughs> so so we set up a couple nets. So they had three guys and this kid. And they had all skated before. And I'm with these two that. Talk about going back to plus minus. Yeah. So we, uh, I, I turned to him. I go, there's no way we're losing to these guys. <laughs> and I said, just get me the puck. <laughs> <laughs> so we ended up winning the game seven to one. And uh, the one, our, our trainer turned it over right in the slot. Um, and it was, it was funny because on, I went on Facebook and, and just kind of said, hey, uh, yeah, we were out on this rink, and this Russian guy comes up and says, how about the international game? I said, how about you bring it on? And then I go, USA 7, Russia 1, no miracle on ice necessary. <laughs> well, it was about two hours later, the guy Facebook friended, friend requested me. So I go, sorry about that, just having fun. He goes, no, it was great. <laughs> yeah, you almost sparked international conflict yes. with a, an outdoor rink game playing yep. with a couple of teams. Yeah, yeah, and that was 2013. We still keep in touch, so it's it fun. Oh my gosh! <laughs> uh, at the risk of diving too deep into an assumption, I would say you're a competitive son of a gun, Steve. Yeah, I am. We, <laughs> well, I, I, we tell the story to our kids. It was not a proud moment, but we, uh, I used to work in special ed department. Mm-hmm. And one of us, uh, our physical therapist for our team, her name's Joan Bomert, um, we would work with kids in the weight room a lot, which, I mean, we had some just incredible stories that came out of that. But one of the girls, she was a cerebral palsy kid in a wheelchair, and mm-hmm. we're playing badminton. Um, I was letting her get ahead, and <laughs> and then, but there was a place where I could hit it, where when she hit it, it went straight down the net, and it was impossible to return it because we were playing with a balloon. Mm-hmm. But then there was another place I'd hit it where I knew she'd pop it up. Well, she started getting a couple points, started getting close. So I'd lob one, boom, she'd get boom, I'm bouncing them off her head. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was fun. And the, the fired teacher was a longtime friend. He goes, Guyder, you're pathetic. You can't even let a girl in a wheelchair beat you. <laughs> I go, hey. I go, sometimes kids need to learn how to lose too. So <laughs> not a proud moment, but it was funny. <laughs> you know, okay. <laughs> I don't, I don't mean to, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to laugh. I don't like losing this. <laughs> but I think that underscores just how people, and uh, Tony's big on this, my boss, Tony Scott, if anyone listening doesn't know who Tony Scott is, he's big on adapted floor hockey, and he went to the state championship game, I think it was last year, and he came back and he said, you would not believe how competitive yeah. some of these kids are. Yep. So maybe that's something for uh, – is it neurotypical people to think about is, you know what, just because somebody is not neurotypical doesn't mean they don't want to win and they don't want to play hard and they can't handle losing. Yep. So good, I think it's good that yeah. you that you just couldn't <laughs> let a little girl beat yeah. you. We had our, our girls' hockey team. We had gone out because our, our floor hockey team was, was pretty good. So the coach contacted me, so we brought our kids out uh, to just play against them. Mm-hmm. And it was competitive. I mean, they're bumping our kids. and, and Good. Were, yeah, it was intense, and it was fun. Our kids had a blast. <laughs> that's awesome. That, that Okay, that's a top five podcast story. <laughs> Kayla, we're going to need to clip that one. She, she says yes. Uh, let's go to the 2017 team, and I wanted to save them for a little further into this podcast because uh, I used to work for – the state of hockey website where I kind of had my pick of which games I wanted to go to. And I went to a Blaine game really early in the season and I just kind of fell in love with that group. They just seemed like they were so 
cohesive as one and they played so well and you were such a good interview after games plug uh but tell me a little bit about that team for the people who might not remember your Bengals from the 2016-2017 team. Yeah, I'm, I consider that probably the greatest team that's ever been assembled in any league in any sport. Um, we didn't win a state championship, but as far as quality of kid, competitiveness, um, you know, you name it, their smart, their work ethic, everything about them was at an elite level. And I've coached other teams that have had, you know, a few kids like that. But I've never coached a team that's had that, as you said, cohesive of a unit. And a lot of those kids, I mean, they're, you'll see on Facebook, uh, you know, you'll see nine of them still getting together over the summer, you know, at a cabin and, and doing things like that. And it's just, it, it's a special group. And every day you came to practice, you know, it was, it was intense. And our, our two best players at the time were Emily Brown and Paige Beebe. And it was funny in practice because you just, sometimes you just sit back and observe a little bit mm-hmm. and you would see those two always adjust themselves in line. So they would always go against each other. <laughs> you know, and the, the old saying of iron sharpens iron, um, those two were it. And it was, it was battles. And then I'd go watch them play in college and, mm-hmm. you know, they're banging and, you know, you talk to them after and it's like, well, yeah, I didn't know it was her, you know, but, uh, I think they did. And, but there was, there was a competitive streak there, but, I mean, they made each other better. And, you know, we had lost Brown that year to the U18 team. Mm-hmm. And this Kenzie Wiley we had, I just gone, went up to her and she goes, I just said, you're in our number one D right now. I said, we really need you to, to elevate. And she did. And, and, you know, she never looked back. I mean, she played her best hockey. And, you know, that's how she got herself a scholarship because she played at a, a different level. But, I mean... You know, Courtney Moser and, you know, Sam Amon, I mean, Gabby Rosenthal. I mean, yeah. It's just, um, it's just, you know, top to bottom. We had, a, a, I think, about six or seven kids off that team that ended up going to play Division One hockey um, throughout the years. And it was an unbelievable experience, and I don't care how long I would have coached, I would never coach a group like that. When did you decide that was one of the best teams ever assembled? Uh, when we when we had it. Um you know, and I've seen a lot of teams, and there was just, you know, from the from the start, because when they came in as, our, that group of seniors, when they came in as freshmen, we were supposed to go to state that year. Um, and we ended up losing the game one nothing, and we had four kids off that, four seniors that ended up going D1, two to Brown, one to Princeton, one to New Hampshire, and we didn't get the job done. And then the next year, when they were sophomores, when we weren't supposed to go, that's when we we made the trip to state for the first time mm-hmm. and we were consolation champs that year. And I mean, it was just a, a different group, the, the mindset, the leadership. I mean, every kid was a leader and you could have put a captaincy on every kid and they, they all led in different ways. And I mean, Emily Brown, I would, you know, I, I talk about Matt Hendricks, but on the female side, she's the greatest leader of any kid. And it's, it's tough to tell the difference between Matt and, and Emily as far as the leadership goes, uh, Matt is, uh, I would say, a little bit notch higher, but not a whole lot. And she's a special kid. And, and what's cool about her is when she went, she would always go to our U8 uh, Futures team and help them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about character. She had a spring break trip set. And then this U18, uh, U8 team, um, they had a one playoff game that she found out about late. 
Well, it was the day she was supposed to leave on her spring break. She changed her flight for spring break to go out to that, watch that U18 play. So, I mean, it tells you what she is like. And then you start going to those gopher games, there'd be 35 little Bengals, you know, there, <laughs> hey, Emily Brown. And, I mean, she just, she is just, as far as a character kid and dealing with youth, and, I mean, she's off the charts. Is she next in line to be the Blaine High School girls varsity head coach? <laughs> Um, probably not. She's, uh, you know, she's doing her, her professional thing. So she's playing, uh, for that team Sonnet in the professional women's hockey league. Um, I think she wants to continue playing. She's going to be an engineer. So it's, it's really tough to, you know, put in the time commitment to do that. I, I hear she coached uh, mites at Edina last year. <laughs> so I don't know how Blaine Youth Hockey <laughs> let her sneak away, but I'm sure Edina offered her a bit more money than, than Blaine Youth Hockey could have. <laughs> Maybe, well, maybe she snuck into, uh, I don't know, Sabotage Braemar or something, yeah. considering Edina is the team yeah. that beat you in that state championship yeah. game. Thanks for bringing that up. You're welcome. <laughs> I have the box score right in front yeah. of me if you want to go through that. Nope, Do you I want don't. to talk about Lowly Fiddler? No, nope, uh, nope, I don't. <laughs> and we had a chance to score early, and in that game, if if we would have scored, I think it would have been different. Yeah. And the, after the second period, you know, we're down, and the tears were just flowing in our locker room, and it wasn't because they are losing. It was because it was the last 17 minutes that that group was ever going to play together. Yeah. You know, so it's like, okay, mom, I guess we're not coming back from this one. <laughs> so where does that, I hate to keep bringing up your losses, but you do have a couple of these yeah, real heartbreakers. Yeah. So where does that loss rank with the loss to Canada in the women's world championships and the loss to Hastings? Well, I, I mean, to me, that one's the toughest because I was the head coach. Um, the, the other ones, I was an assistant, and, you know, so that's a different. In, in 2001, we had a chance to win the state championship for girls, too, and, and lost 2-1, to one and, mm-hmm. you know, we had a chance with a breakaway and missed it, and they, they tucked one in, and that one was really tough, too. And But it's they're different when you're the assistant coach because you're not, you know, you're not the head coach. Yeah. So it's, I think you, there's more investment, obviously, as a head coach because you got to do all the other things. Um, so that was a tough one. Especially for that kid or that team because they were such great kids. I wanted it more for them than me. Very selfless. Yeah. <laughs> Very selfless. <laughs> uh, to to put a bow on your high school career, what has it been like to watch the talent level of women's hockey evolve from I was young enough to, well, I'm old enough, I should say, to remember watching uh, Rhonda and Renee Curtin at Roseville. And that was in Roseville's heyday when they had Marty Sertich and Colin Cody and all these guys. And while the women were talented, they weren't on the same level as boys and the talent. It was just getting warmed up. Mm-hmm. So what's it been like to watch women's hockey at the high school level in Minnesota go from a grassroots, just getting our feet wet, scrapping for ice time to the number one producer of collegiate talent in the country? Well, I mean, the, the goaltending is the biggest difference. Um, you look at the goalies way back then. I mean, you would our, our team in the early years was good, mm-hmm. and I mean, it would be to beat a team eight to nothing was you know fairly routine, and it wasn't necessarily because you were so much better than the other team. The goaltending was just so poor. And I was, you know, we played a number of teams this year, and I'm looking at the goalies going, pretty impressive, and. You know that so that that change has has really you know been something and 
couple of years ago, I was watching our section championship game against Park Center. Um, it was 97. <laughs> it was so slow. <laughs> I mean, back then it <laughs> yeah. seemed like, okay, this is going pretty good. And we had this Laura Trebu who was a very elite player, you know, 80, she'd get 80 points and, mm -hmm. you know, a stud goalie. And we had some, some very good players on our team and they didn't seem that slow back then. Yeah. And then I watch it now and, I mean, there's the top JV teams right now would have beat those teams, you know, back in the day. You don't seem to see, um, I don't think you see as many just incredibly elite players anymore. You, know, you don't see Chrissy Wendell and Natalie Darwitz anymore. Okay. Um, there, there's good players, but those two would be phenomenal players today. You know, if they played today, they were just, you know, their commitment level and what they did in the off season to get better was incredible. Um, and you, you lose a lot to that today. Everybody's looking for these quick fixes. And, you know, Chrissy had trained with me for two summers um, during our, our summer stuff before our first Olympics. And I was watching her stick handle as we got done training and she's stick handling and she had a golf ball on her stick. I can't move my hands without anything in them as fast as she was stick handling that golf ball. And I'm like, man, Chrissy, I said, how much time do you spend growing up doing this stuff and what did you do? She says, you know what? She said, I would spend anywhere from a half an hour to three hours a day. Um, like during the season, you know, it's, it's about half hour off season, more than the three hour. And uh, she said, we didn't, we didn't really do drills. She said, what we do is I'd be on one end of the, or one corner of the garage. My brother Eric would be on the other corner and my dad would throw hockey equipment all over the garage floor. And we would just have a different contest who could stick handle through the stuff faster the other side, or you could knock the other person's ball off their stick and they'd have to start over. And she said, it wasn't really like doing drills. She said, we just had a lot of fun. Hmm. And then I was at the Salt Lake City Olympics in the semifinal game, and I sat in front of Scott, uh, Scott Darwitz. And there had been an article that came out on Natalie um, where she had spent as much as eight hours a day um, just training on her own. Hmm. And I'm like, Scott, I said, that was an unbelievable article. I said, she really spent that much time? He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, people ask me all the time why she's so good. She goes, she works her ass off. He said, I could say that. I did, I did. <laughs> and he, I said, what would she do? He said, well, she would, she would go outside and on tennis shoes and she would shoot pucks at the net. You know, I don't know how many. Um, and then she would put like rollerblades on and shoot. And then she would have rollerblades off and she would stay, be stick handling. And she put rollerblades on and stick handling. She's playing floor hockey and things like that. And that's really what you lose nowadays is kids don't do that. Um, they want to go to this program or that program and spend thousands of dollars, and kids are just not in their garage anymore stick handling and shooting. Uh, we had a girl, Sammy Nixon, uh, who played for us, and um, her junior year she was playing with this Christina Bunker, who's our all-time leading scorer, and she had 30-something 30, 30 goals, like six, almost 70 points. And then the next year she was essentially playing by herself. We didn't, we didn't have anybody that could play with her. And the summer before her senior year, she shot 52,000 pucks. <laughs> and I think I witnessed them, a lot of them, because uh, her and that bunker would. 52,000? Yeah. So they were training together, and they would come in and lift at 6 in the morning, and then they would come back. So they were our first training session from noon to 1.30. And then Sammy would be there until we closed down. And she would be stick handling, shooting, and bunker would stay there for like four hours. You know, so I probably witnessed most of those shots and, you know, we just had her writing down, and then she would leave there. She'd go home. Um, Tuesdays and Thursdays, we would do dryland goalie training, and she would come in then and shoot on the goalies for me. 
Um, it's just, <laughs> you, you just don't see as much of that anymore. So I think the overall play has gotten so much better. Um, but I don't think you see the like, true, really standout players like you did. In your perfect world, how many AAA teams would exist during the summer for hockey? Zero. Zero. Yeah. It's um, kids need to train, and USA Hockey did that big study on uh, puck possession time. Mm-hmm. So during the Salt Lake City Olympics, they had a bunch of people sitting in the crowd, and they had tablets and stopwatches, and they were timing the best players. And I think Joe Sackick in the gold medal game had the lead. He had the puck on his stick for maybe a minute and 15 seconds, and I think he attempted five shots. So the whole reason for USA Hockey doing that study is just to say, hey, you know, everybody who just wants to play these games now, it's like, well, how do you become a better puck handler when the puck's only on your stick? The, the best player in the world at the time for a minute and 15 seconds. And how do you become a better shooter when you, you attempt five shots in that, you know, 60 minutes of game time? You know, and it was a great study. And, and that's, you know, that's what gets lost. And we talk to our kids about it all the time. It's like you need to get more specific in your training. Um, you need to become a better shooter. Well, I, I worked with Scott Bukestead for a while, best shooting, best shooting cro- instructor on. And hey, on yep. He's not going to give me any money for saying his name on here. <laughs> um, and I've sent all kinds of people to him. He's never given me a dime. Maybe he'll give me something. Hey, yeah. Scott. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's just, it's like, why wouldn't you go to him? Um, Matt Hendricks, one time I had to, when he was with the Capitals, I had to go get some stuff autographed for one of our events. Mm-hmm. And I went to the St. Louis Park Ice Arena, and he was there with 15 other guys, NHLers, doing power skating. Yep. I'm like, I know Bukestead was working with Miko Koivu. Um, he works with all these other people. And I'm like, the best players in the world are going to a person like this to improve their skill. Why, why aren't you doing it? Yeah. You know, and, and you need it more than they do. And, but it's just, you know, they want to go to these programs where you're playing most of the time and, or you're in the there's 50 people in line and, you know, there's little coaching going on. Yeah. So, wow. Soapbox on that one. That's, that's okay. <laughs> I like soapboxes. Yeah. You're, now that you've retired, now that you've stepped away, you're allowed to get on your soapbox yeah. a little bit. I have a lot of soapboxes. <laughs> and I, I'm going to offer you another soapbox spot right here. I read an article from a few years ago where you said, and I quote, as coaches, you'd like our opinion You'd think our opinion would be trusted, but through the whole process, the board never asked the coaches uh, if we thought she was capable. And you were were referring to a player who was in middle school at the Mm -hmm. time in the Anoka Hennepin School District. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe the rule reads, if two players, if it comes down to two players, you have to take the older one, or are middle schoolers not allowed to play at all? Well, so what they have is... Um, you need to prove you're an accelerated athlete. Okay. So when the girls' hockey first started, like Christina Bunker played for us as a seventh grader. Mm-hmm. And the rule at the time was if the middle school did not offer the program, then they could play high school provided you didn't cut anybody. Okay. So then there was a, and I have to be careful what I say because I got my hand slapped on the other one. Um, but there was a situation that had happened with a kid and um, – Things got changed mm-hmm. to uh, there was a kid that got beat out on a section roster and there was a, a something made up where, hey, you know, a, a eighth grader can't displace a, a high school kid on a section roster. And then that evolved to a high school kid on a, on a, just a varsity roster. So the, the situation we had is at the time um, we had 
had tried to get this kid and um, it wasn't said before the situation that we can't have her. They wanted to wait till trials were over and the kid played great and she would have been a second line forward for us. And, and then, uh, so she's all excited. I'm like, and she probably would have been on her first power play. And it's like, okay, well, we have to wait and see what happens now. And, and they determined, nope, she can't do it. And the kid was absolutely devastated. And it's like, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, yes, you're good enough. So she ended up playing JV for us. And, you know, my, my point on the, the comment was, you know, I had worked for USA Hockey for 20 years. And I was a national evaluator for them. So, I mean, governing body of hockey, and they were flying me all over the country to evaluate talent. And I just kind of said, you know what? I said, the, the governing body of hockey has chosen me as one of the people to go around and evaluate talent. I said, I think I got a pretty good handle on if this kid can play varsity hockey or not. And that didn't matter. But um, because it's a team sport, it's hard to prove they're an accelerated athlete. You know, so you'll see, you'll see eighth graders play tennis. You'll see them in track because you got a time or, you know, it might be a golf or something like that. you know, um, Catherine Van Aragon won the state golf championship as a seventh grader at Blaine high school. Um, So that's the hard part that coaches have is that some sports can do it and then others can't, you know, and it's as a coach at the time, it's like, you know what? been hired to do this and I feel pretty good about my ability to evaluate this talent. And it's, it's kind of like you're second guessing it. And I mean, there's, that might change at some point. I know there's a lot of people not happy about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can get an eighth grader up. So Haley Hansen, who just graduated for us this year, she played for us as an eighth grader, but it's different there because it's such a specific spot Yeah, and not everybody can play it. And we didn't have any goalies. So um, that was an easy one. Um, Coon Rapids, when Jess Christofferson was coaching there, they only had like 19 kids. So they were allowed to take a couple because it made them viable. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been a, it's been a sticky point. Um, and it's, it's something where it, it was always allowed and now it's not, you know, and then you go to the state tournament and you watch all these eighth graders yeah. that are just having a tremendous impact. And we had a, we had an eighth grader this year that would have been on our varsity. Um, I know Champlain Park, Coon Rapids, they had an eighth grader playing on their U15 teams like that. She'd have been on her varsity, you know, and you lose kids because of that, you know, because there's other programs that will, will take them on as eighth graders. So they'll leave your program to go play for them. You might not get them back. And there's a lot of schools that haven't. That was going to be my next question is how much stickier it's gotten now that you can you see the seventh and eighth graders playing key roles on teams. I went to a section final and I taught I saw two seventh graders on the penalty kill. And you might think, well, they're not ready to play, but they are ready to play. They're playing right now. They're playing really well on the penalty kill. And your schools are at such a disadvantage because another school, like you just said, can come in and say, you can play for us as an eighth grader. And then yep. once you get established at a program, it's a lot harder to get somebody to leave. Yep. Well, especially with the transfer rule where you got to do it before your freshman year, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like, okay, you know, you're there. And, you know, I'd made the point too. I go, I said, look at Natalie Darwitz. She, she played as a seventh grader. I said, and, and right here, she could not play for the Blaine high school team. She's an Olympian. Um, arguably the best female that's ever played hockey in the U S mm-hmm. um, and she, <laughs> she can't play on our team. Yep. I mean, it's like, that's, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow, but you know, it is what it is and you, you make do. 
you you make do. And on a happier note, we're going to move on to Haley Hansen for a moment because she's another player who I feel is kind of like an Emily Brown where she's been such a linchpin of your program. And it's almost fitting that you're stepping down when she is moving on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is, she's exceptional. And it's, it's hard to say who your best is. Mm-hmm. You know, Jody Horak, pretty tough to beat her. Um, she was the recipient of the 25-year, you know, top goalie over the first 25 years. Um, as far as, as far as talent-wise, speed skating, um, Haley is she's the best goalie we've had. Um, the only knock on her, she's five three. <laughs> when she was, she an plays eighth, like she's six eleven. Yep. When she was an eighth grader, I think I had fifteen Division one schools calling me on her. Um, my opinion, I think she's the best goalie in Minnesota. Um, it didn't come out that way, but. I mean, when I uh, you look at what she's done, she's had over 3,400 shots, and her career save percentage is 9.29. Now, there's other goalies that are good, but we were looking at what's been in front of her. So, in her five years at Blaine, there's been one Division One player, and that was Ramsey Parent, who's been essentially a fourth liner at St. Cloud or at Ohio State. There's been four Division Three players and two club hockey players. That is it as far as kids that have gone on to play in college. Um, and we've been playing Andover, and we used to play Dina, and we play Minnetonka every year. And we were playing teams with, you know, multiple Division One players. And she's on every been, shift. On every shift. And every time we have played Minnetonka, I mean, I'll get a message from their kids. They go, she is without question the best goalie we play. Um, and it's just, you know, she's really, really good. But – She's a far better person. I mean, she is, when I first met her, <laughs> her and her dad come up and she goes, hello, sir, I'm Haley Hansen. I'm like, holy cow. Um, <laughs> and I've never been thanked so much in my entire lifetime. It's everything you do for, oh, thank you so much. And I mean, she's just, she's the most coachable kid. And I, I've got to, I've been fortunate because I've got to work with the best goalies in the world on the female side of the game. And the one thing you learn working with those elite players is that, you can go up to them and say, hey, I'd like you to try this. And immediately they can do it. And most kids in the high school level and younger, you go, try this, and, I mean, they can't grasp it. She was a kid that could get it immediately, which is exciting. And, I mean, she always wanted to watch video, and, and she, hey, could we get an hour and do a, just a goalie practice? Um, she's a 3.9 GPA. She's, you know, she has ended up being a four-time All-State kid for us, and, it's just, I mean, it's, she's the most coachable kid I've ever had in my life. And, and it's tough to say too, but she might be the, my favorite player that I've ever coached. Um, she just, she should have been on our 2017 team because <laughs> character wise, I mean, she just, that was the mode of all those other kids. And I've, and I've been fortunate. I mean, we've Gabby Rosenthal at Ohio state now and Emily Brown and, you know, Christina Bunkers, Hammy Nixon, you know, Krista Johnson is just going on the line of just, you just don't find kids of that quality. And she's, you know, to, to put her towards the top of that, you know, says a lot about her. But, but character-wise, her parents is the best set of parents I've ever had. Um, I've never seen a, uh, I've never had parents that have been so supportive. The amount of positive text messages and emails that I would receive from them 
was off the charts. And I was worried coming in because Haley's dad was a goalie mm-hmm. and had worked with her. And a lot of times when you're in that situation, well, my dad tells me this or, you know, my coach tells me this. And goalies have become harder to coach because they, they go to this goalie school and work with this guy and they don't want to listen to anybody else. It's like mm-hmm. you need to listen to multiple people because there's multiple things you can learn. And never once did I ever have that. And I was talking to her dad after the first game in the lobby, and I said, I just want you to know I absolutely love your kid. I said, she is an incredible kid and a phenomenal goal. I said, you've done a great job with her. He goes, you can do more with her than I could. And it's like, and it's, it's, it's been all nothing but support, and it's, it is a good time uh, to go out because it's, you know, it's my first year coaching um, was a D1 kid. Um, was actually two Daphne Barnes, who was first female, but she was we didn't have girls hockey then, mm-hmm. so she went to play at Princeton, and then we had Jim Molman um, on our boys, so we had those two right away. So to start with Division One goaltender and finish it was a good idea, I think. It's a couple <laughs> of handsome bookends you've yeah. got there, a couple yep. of D one goaltenders yep. with a few in between too. So so now that you have stepped away, we've talked a little bit off camera about some of your passion projects, and I want to give you a little bit more of a platform to tell folks what you're up to. Uh, with your veterans memorial that you're working on getting built and some of your involvement with the military. Yeah, well, I, I run the Veterans Day program at Blaine High School, which has been has been awesome. I mean, it's it's gone over really well. And the nice part about that is, you know, we put service and sacrifice in front of 3,000 kids once a year. Um, and then I just approached the mayor one day and said, hey, I'd like to lead a a group to put a elite level Memorial park in the city because we didn't have anything. And he was a Korean and Vietnam vet. So he loved the idea and had me talk to the VFW commander. And I ended up proposing to the city council and um, spent 2,500 of my own money to get a 501 C three. And then just uh, started designing all these monuments. So when it's done, there's going to be 18 monuments that will be part of the park. Um, right now we have seven in, um, a World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam War on Terror, a Purple Heart, and a Civil War monument. And then this spring and early summer, we're going to be putting in an Honoring Women in Service monument and a um, POW MIA. And then we're going to put in a memorial bench for a guy named Dick Barton, who was a World War Two vet. And then uh, we run a great Memorial Day program. In the last two years, we've presented flags. Um, one was to... Uh, girl named Megan Valentine, whose dad was a very elite Navy SEAL. So we presented the flag to her, and she was three when he was killed in training, getting ready for his 10th deployment. He was part of SEAL Team 6 the last 12 years of his life. And then uh, we honored another family, um, a guy named Eric Finneganum, who was from Yap Island, Micronesia. He joined the U.S. military because he wanted to become a U.S. citizen. And three weeks after he got his citizenship, he was killed in action in a mortar attack, and his daughter was one. And we presented a flag to her as well. So seeing those two, those two kids receive their father's flag, I mean, you, you can't. You asked me earlier if you cry much. You, you tend to get a tear on that. And so we had planned on doing something for Gold Star. And so we're putting in a Gold Star Children's Monument, which is going to be in the likeness of uh, Megan Valentine because the Star Tribune had taken just a phenomenal picture of her with her eyes closed holding the flag. I actually contacted that uh, photographer from the Star Tribune that took it and invited them, and she's like, oh, that's awesome, so honored. And 
So we have that going in, and then we we have a, a they're called Freedom Rock. There's a guy in Iowa, and he paints these beautiful murals on these large boulders. And his initial goal was to put one in every county in Iowa, and he's done that now. Now he's on a 50-state tour, and I think there's two or three of them in Minnesota, and he's going to start painting ours on September 7th. So we'll have that in too. So we got a good start going. We still have a fallen soldier monument we're fundraising for, a Vietnam-era soldier statue. Then we have five individual branch monuments, and then our biggest monument um, is our armed services monument. I think I might have to redesign that one. <laughs> the fundraising for it has been way more difficult than I thought it would be. Um, and that monument itself is $824,000. So that's that monument itself. Is that with, it, with inflation? Yeah. No, it might be up a little higher now. So <laughs> I might try to do a redesign on that to try to get it down closer to 500000 But that monument itself is more than all the other monuments combined. Okay. So between the coaching, football, coaching hockey, your step down from hockey, it doesn't sound like you'll be at a loss for things to do. Are you just the type of person who just has a go button? There is no slowdown. There is no stop. It's just go. Yeah, I <laughs> I am. I am. Uh, there's times I'll be at home and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do anything today. And then a half an hour later, my computer's out and I'm, <laughs> I'm working on stuff. So, I mean, the veterans, the veteran stuff has really become a passion for me. Doing these projects and doing the Veterans Day program, the amount of veterans I have met and heard their stories is absolutely incredible. Um, they are so thankful for like that Veterans Day program and for this park because they, they feel like they're not forgotten. And, we had one year, Julie Nelson from Care 11 was our MC, And after, and she was phenomenal. She stayed for like an hour after. She's taken pictures with people and made sure everybody was taken care of before she left. And we invite all veterans to sit in the stands and take a whole group photo. So I'm standing next to her, and we're watching this photo taken. And one of the veterans is like, Steve and Julie, you guys got to get into this photo. And we're like, no, we're not. Vet- no, get in here. Okay, so we go and sit in there, and then, after the picture is done, everybody's coming down, and I'm thanking all these veterans. And I had a 78-year-old Korean War vet come up, and he said, I just want to thank you. He says, this is the first time that I felt like someone's appreciated me for my service since I got out of the Korean War. And I'm like, whew, I mean, that, that hits you hard. And you start talking to all these other vets, and they're just, you know, just so thankful. And that's where, I mean, coaching to me – has, has really become a thankless job. And you have some people that, that you know, we always say you got, you got some people that are with you. I mean, they love you. And then you got some people that can't stand you. It doesn't matter what you do. They're just not going to like you. And then you got a whole group in between. But, you know, I first realized that. So we were talking about Dave Nelson, and I saw him at the Minnesota Coaches Football or Minnesota Football Coaches Association banquet probably about four or five years ago, and he had a really rough group of parents, and he just looked terrible. I mean, he just, he just looked beat up. He looked tired. And I start listening to the stories. I'm like, how on earth could anyone have a bad word to say about you? I mean, to me, you know, walk on water. I said, you're the reason I became a coach. There, there's nothing that anybody could remotely say negative about you, and they did. And it's, you know, various reasons. Their kid's not playing or, you know, whatever happens. But it's like, okay, you know, you know, as a coach, if this can happen to him, I mean, it can happen to anybody. And the longer it goes, it's, you know, a banquet will, will be done. And 
we experience this with all sports. And you, you just spent four months with their kid, and you'll have three people come up to you, three sets of parents maybe come up to you after and say, hey, thanks. You know, whether you like what we did or not, you know, hey, thanks for your time, you know, or something like that. And it's just, I mean, it's just, there's just nothing there. And like I say, that Hanson family, I mean, they, they probably make up the thank yous for everybody. But it's every year it just gets to be less and less thankfulness of what you do. And, you know, we really did a lot of other stuff that other programs didn't do because we had a great focus on teaching life lessons. And we had a we had a thing one time we just called it Make a Difference. And that came, I went with some football coaches at St. Thomas because um, their defensive coordinator used to play for us. So we're talking and we were at, their big team meeting, and then they broke off into offense and defense. And I was behind the coach, and he opened the door, and I just held it open. And 50, because I, I counted them, 50 defensive players walked through that door. 48 of them said thank you to me. And the two that didn't say thank you were in the middle of a conversation when they walked in. I go, that's unbelievable. So then I went to our school. I'm just going to do this. So a, a class was coming up to our library. I held the door open. 33 people walked through that door. Two kids said thank you. And then I'm like, okay. So I just kept doing it. And just, I mean, just little things. So then we just did a thing with our group. It was called Make a Difference. And what we did is we made our kids do something every day to either make a difference in their school, in the life of somebody else, their community. Um, could be as simple as, you know, somebody left their tray in the lunchroom and you, you brought it up. Well, that means the custodian didn't have to do it. You know, or, you know, kids would get creative. That Kenzie Wiley we had, she was driving, and she saw a homeless person, and right next to a caribou, she went in and bought the guy a cup of coffee. You know, kids just started getting creative in what they did, and after every practice then, we would go in the locker room, and kids would write down what they did, and then we would go around one by one, and then they would say what they did to make a difference. And it was awesome, and we had a girl named Deanna Lemire, and when she graduated, her mom came up, she says, I just want you to know how important that make a difference has been in my daughter's life. She said, we were at Northtown Mall and we were walking out of the store and we were halfway down the walkway and Deanna saw this, this elderly lady start coming up. She said she stopped, turned, went back and held the door open until that woman went through. She said she never on earth would have done anything like that had she not been exposed to this type of stuff. And then Deanna sent me the greatest email. She was, went up to North Dakota to play soccer and she says, hey, I just want you to know how important that make a difference has been in my life. And she said, I held, I held the door open there, and nobody said thank you to me. <laughs> you know, so it's, I mean, it's just little things, and it's, you know, we, we used to do a teddy bear toss, and, and we give bears to Children's Hospital around McDonald House, and um, we do a adopt a family, and anything we could, we could find to, you know, expose kids to, uh, you know, doing good things for people and, and helping people out, and, you know, we really tried to do and you start getting complaints on some of that stuff. Well, I can't believe you're making my kid do something like that. It's like, really? I mean, all they, all they simply had to do was hold the door open for somebody. Is it that hard? It's not that hard. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, just, it's just gotten to be such a thankless job. And, I mean, there was 35 new head coaches in girls hockey last year, and they average about 25 a year, and 98% of them are getting out due to parents. Um, I'm not, I didn't get out because of parents. I'm, I'm kind of in that mode of, 
I'm just going to stay around and just tick you off more. Um, uh, there's, uh, <laughs> I've got 10 years. I'm here yeah, forever. Yeah, it's like I'm going to go out on my terms, not yours. And, you know, I had been contemplating this, and you said it was a good time to finish up your career with, with Haley as the goalie, and that's true, and that was, that was definitely in consideration. And, but there's, I mean, there's so many things that go along with, with being a head coach that coaching just became not fun to me anymore. I mean, it's fun working with the kids, but the the fundraising and dealing with parent emails and everything else that goes along with it, I mean, for $6,000, it's just not very good. And I had to do a coaching practicum for college one time, and I kept track of my hours for football one year. It turned out I made 29 cents an hour. It's pretty good. Yeah, and I make far less than that as a head hockey coach. I mean, because it's <laughs> it's not just during the season. You're doing all the stuff out of the season, too. So the, the veteran aspect of it, I mean, everything I'm around, the amount of veterans that have come up to me in tears and say, boy, thank you for doing this. This place means so much. And I mean, it's, it's, it's routine, you know, and it's, it inspires you to do more for them when you see just how emotional that they get. And, uh, you know, Dave Nelson's dad, Stan, who's, I would consider him my idol is a Omaha beach D-Day vet. And I reunited him with a shipmate. They hadn't seen each other in 75 years, a guy named Pete Fanicone from uh, Mays Landing, New Jersey. And I met Pete for about a day and a half um, when he was here, and then he ended up passing away later that year just after Easter. And he had such an impact on me, I actually flew out to New Jersey for his funeral. Uh, met his whole family and Facebook friends with several of them now. And um, I haven't met his other shipmate. I bet we've talked on the phone a hundred times. He's from he's from Tennessee. Talks like this. He's like Steve. I appreciate you, buddy. You know, so <laughs> that's it's just, dead on for a Tennessee accent, yeah. by the way. So I mean, it's just a blast to talk to him. But it's I mean, uh, June sixth happened seventy eight years ago, and Stan will talk about what happened the day before. He'll talk about coming across. Um, he'll say before we hit the beach, he said we throw our anchor out about thirty yards before. And we'd gun it, and so we're grounded enough, and drop the flaps. And they draw. They had two flaps, so they would drop two hundred people at a time. And then he said they had so much time to get off, and then we'd pull the flaps, and use the anchor to pull us off the beach. He said, and then you know what happens after that. I go here. You got a guy that's one hundred and two, going to be one hundred and three in September. This happened seventy eight years ago, and he still can't talk about what he saw on Omaha Beach on that day, and his. Uh, his shipmates have talked about it, that Pete Fanacone, he actually made a DVD because his whole mission in life was to make sure that all those that lost their lives that day never got forgotten. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there's Jack Claiborne, the one in Tennessee. There's a group called Forever Young that flies veterans over to, to Omaha Beach on anniversaries, and he's been over there twice, and they actually made him a chapter in a book. So he shared the chapter with me, and you know he he talks about some stuff in there, and I think... I don't know if there's a guy that survived when they dropped on that first landing. And he said when they landed, he said the water was blood red as far as you can see. And, you know, you just, I mean, you meet the, I mean, I get goosebumps just thinking about it. And my uncle was, if you'd seen the movie, We Were Soldiers, uh, my uncle was in that battle. And he got wounded two battles later in the Battle of Bong Song as a Vietnam vet, Purple Heart recipient. And he passed away in 2009 and carried his flag grape casket into Fort Snelling. It's, one of the most unbelievable feelings I've ever had in my life when you, you know, you know, you have a service member and then you're in that cemetery. It's, it's absolutely incredible. And it's that kind of stuff that has really inspired me. 
And our, our team the past couple of years has scrimmaged the Minnesota Warriors. So I ended up getting a call from one of their coaches and said, hey, I'd love it if you come and coach with us. So I think I'm going to do that. Um, it's just a, a great group of guys in there. You know, I've gone to be watch them play and took pictures for them once in pretty intense games, and it's it's fun, and you don't have to worry about parents, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> and the Minnesota Warriors are a group of veterans who, who yeah. play hockey. Yeah, so it's it's veterans have been wounded, or they um, or they have expanded it to more mental stuff now, so PTSD stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's that's pretty incredible too, because you know we we pair our kids up with a warrior. And then they go out together for the national anthem, and the national anthem for me is big. And I made a video of some of Saving Private Ryan because Stan Nelson said that's exactly what it was like. Uh, some of we were soldiers because my uncle said that's exactly what it was like. Some of Pearl Harbor. So uh, I mean, I, I don't. I said I'm not going to apologize for showing you this. I said obviously some of the stuff is graphic, but you don't know what you don't know. And when you're standing there for the national anthem, I, I can't stand when people move. And they're rocking side to side and moving their feet. It drives me absolutely nuts. So our kids, you know, they're even spacing, feet on the line, sticks in front, helmet, don't move. And then a couple seconds after the national anthem, one of our captains taps their stick, and then they can go. Um, so that's been, that's been an important aspect for me. And what's really cool is you go on to watch these kids in college. Um, I have video of Gabby Rosenthal, and she's – national champion last year and runner up this year. And she is the last one for Ohio state to move everybody else. I got them turning and their sticks are there and she's still standing. And when Ohio state is playing the Gophers, her and Emily Brown, they're the last two to move, you know? So it's, it's really cool when you see that because you, then you're going, okay, these kids understand. So that's kind of, uh, you know, that's, that's what is driving me now. Is, is to keep doing things for these veterans and um, hopefully keep passing the messages on to these younger kids on what people have done for this country and why, you you know, you see that old guy with the Vietnam hat or whatever, you go up and to that person and say thank you. I mean, if you're a veteran, wear that hat and go to a restaurant I'm at, I'm buying you dinner. <laughs> and it's just how it is. I'm, I'm a sucker for that. I'm like, oh, there's one. Give me his check. Oh, it doesn't make you a sucker. Yeah. I think it makes you a hell of a nice guy. <laughs> I always do it anonymously. I said, you don't need to know. And one, one time the waitress ratted me out. It was a 95-year-old World War II vet. And then his family came over and were thankful and started telling stories. It was incredible. Well, this has been incredible. Steve Guider, you are stepping down from the Blaine Girls High School hockey program. Thank you for coming in today and telling stories. This has been a blast. I hope you enjoy your bottle of slightly warm (laughs) Martinelli's apple cider. But again, congrats on a great career, and thanks for joining us today. I appreciate you having me. You need to stay up out in the streets if you can't take the heat. You need to stay